I was brought up in Welling United Reformed Church and like many churches of its type and time, there was always a raffle. Um, it's one of those exciting things that somehow in certain circles becomes the height of entertainment and the big high point of the evening. We sometimes do concerts uh, at URC in South East London and um, they have the concert bit we do and then they stop for coffee and then there's another half hour of time filled up with them drawing the raffle. And it's always the same person that does it. It's a very important job. And he won't use a microphone because his voice is loud enough. You know how it is. And, and so, so, you know, it's, it is quite a highlight for some people. You know, who's going to get the box of Cadbury's roses? Or who is going to get, better still, the bottle of rosé? The suspense may be killing you. But fear not. Because the big moment has come. You should have been given, and if you haven't, Gillian will rush over and hand you, a raffle ticket with a number on it. Has everybody got a raffle ticket with a number? There's one lady here that's shaking her head. Uh, they're pound a strip. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> they're not. I'll hand you the ticket, and then Gillian will put you in the drawer. We can't possibly have you excluded from the drawer. There we go. I mean, I actually hate raffles. I, used to, I would get really embarrassed by them, especially when it's down to the last prize that nobody else wanted either. But here we go. There is a prize. So, big moment. If we had drums, we'd roll them. Oh, hang on. I have no idea what I'm getting here, so it could be any of you. Here we go. And the winner is number 11. Who's got number 11? <gasps> ah, Heather's got number 11. Well, you'll be thrilled because I'm a stationary addict and the prize is a shiny four-colour biro. Ooh! So we can say to you, can't we? Congratulations! Congratulations! I noticed that that font's not the same on your computer as it's on mine, but who cares? Congratulations! Says it all, doesn't it? And it's fair enough to say congratulations. What you shouldn't say when someone's won a raffle is well done. Because what did they do? They didn't do anything at all. It was entirely down to. I heard people say, oh, well done, you got the wine. What do you mean, well done? Uh, all I did was buy a ticket and somebody pulled it out of a hat. But there we go. Well done isn't the appropriate response, but congratulations. Now, we're going to use the hat again now for a, another prize draw. Okay. You're thinking of retiring, David. Because this is to decide who's going to be the next premises manager. Yeah, that's my reaction too, yeah. But... I'm not even going to draw it. But do you know what? If you did that at the church meeting, there'd be a few eyebrows raised, wouldn't there? Using, you know, well, I've put all the names of the members in the hat. One of you's got to be secretary. One of you's got to be treasurer. And, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, we'd think it odd, wouldn't we? And I'm sure people wouldn't be happy, although I suspect that it might be quite a useful technique at some church meetings and certainly at synod meetings in my experience. So let's just put everything in a hat and see what God says. But drawing lots might be an odd approach for us today but it was definitely part of what God works with his people doing so they proposed two candidates and we've got these two candidates Joseph called Barsabbas also called Justice and Matthias and then they prayed now there's the difference between this and a raffle they prayed Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which of these two you have chosen to assume the task of this service and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Then they cast lots for them, and the one chosen was Matthias. 
So he was counted with the 11 apostles. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? That casting lots here is a biblical strategy to determine the will of God. We're not talking about fortune telling. We're not on the realms of Mystic Meg or the astrologers. You remember Mystic Meg? And this week's winner will be a man or a woman. Well, yeah, <laughs> you get a fairly good chance of hitting the right person then. And, and, and you know, we, my grandma used to read over coffee. Oh, what are you again, Aries? Oh, oh dear me, I wouldn't go upstairs today. It says you're going to fall head first down and break your neck. You know, that sort of thing. The Bible explicitly forbids that sort of fortune telling. Because people are seeking to understand the future from beings other than God. Okay? Only God knows the future and it's only his to know. So it's forbidden that we do that sort of fortune telling, trying to predict the future in that way. But casting lots is a biblical strategy. You've probably seen pictures like this before. It's the great high priest. You know, they're not the great high priest, but it's the high priest of the tribe. And um, nowadays, us ministers or ministers to be, it doesn't really matter what we choose to wear when we go to lead worship. You know, um, there was a very famous story, which I think I've told you before, of uh, a discussion held when they were discussing whether or how they should set up the URC, what should ministers wear. And the discussion was quite heated. And one person stood up and said, I will wear nothing that will distinguish me from my fellow Christians. And in the minutes he was reported to have said, I will wear nothing that will distinguish me from my fellow Christians. <laughs> Well, maybe it would. I think they'd probably reduce the congregation rapidly as well. But, you know, Keith, he wears a cross, and it, that marks him out. I say some people wear collars. On Tuesday, we had a whole group of final-year students at Westminster College being given the opportunity to try on different types of robe to decide what they might wear. Thankfully, at least four of them left the room saying, well, I'm wearing these jeans and this T-shirt, if you don't mind. But there we go. But the priest, you know, he couldn't do his job. He couldn't enter into the Holy of Holies unless he was properly dressed. And, and there were an elaborate series of garments. And you'll know about the breastplate here. Twelve gemstones which represent the twelve tribes of Israel. But here's something I was intrigued to learn about. In a pocket in the back of his breastplate, he carried stones in a bag for determining the will of God. They were called the Urim and Thummim. You've probably heard that phrase some long time ago, but they actually were, and they're mentioned in the Bible as part of the priestly dress. These stones were used, we don't know how, but they were used to seek God's answer in times of challenge and for difficult questions. The answer had to be a yes or no question. My favourite description of how they work was from a Jewish um, rabbi. And he said that there were actually three stones, a light one and two dark ones. And you took out the light one because it was a different shape so you could feel for it. And then you took out one of the others which either said no or yes. But it was only an answer from God if the white one glowed. Now, given that God's dwelling in a temple with fire and flames and clouds, making a stone glow isn't a problem, is it? But if it didn't glow, they said, well, that's not God's, God doesn't want to answer this question. The thing about this was only the high priest was allowed to do it, and only very important people like kings were allowed to ask the questions. David asked, should I pursue the enemy, or should I stop? 
and they sought that from the, from the priest and the priest said, pursue the enemy. But I don't know how they did it, I don't know why, you know, exactly why, but it was a way of determining God's will. And casting lots was quite a common thing in the Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes to seek God's will, sometimes just because it's a random way of making a decision. But this was one of the ones for God's will. You know, on the, the Day of Atonement there were two goats. One was sacrificed to God, the other one was loaded with all the sins and kicked out and driven out into the desert to die. Now, the priest would determine which, by casting lots, which of those would be which. Because he could only see from the external features which was perfect and which wasn't. In the book of Numbers, when we come to the distribution of the land, that was done by casting lots. Who gets which bit? Who got the good bit? who got the slightly rubbish bit, and who got the bit most closest to the border of the enemy. And I remember Keith preaching on one of those people, you know, how annoyed they were. They got the land near the enemy. They didn't want to go in and, you know, um, kick them out. Slightly different um, case of casting lots, but still to seek the will of God, this is Jonah. Who's upset their God? The lot fell on Jonah. And this one is another case when lots were used. There was quite a common thing to do, but not one for seeking the will of God. This is the Roman soldiers deciding who gets the seamless garment at the cross. So it was a perfectly normal part of life. And the difference, of course, with, this, with the priest and in the, with the disciples was that they were praying and through it seeking God's will. It wasn't just something random. Maybe when it's choosing between two things of equal merit we sometimes use a random method, you know, little things, which team's going to kick off, not which, well, shall I marry you or not, you know, imagine that, will you marry me, hang on, no, there are actually three possible outcomes for a coin flip, heads, tails and the edge, and it has happened, it's quite possible. So that's, I don't know what you do when God makes it land on the edge, but I'm not recommending this as a method. Judas Iscariot, he had betrayed God. So they were one short to make the twelve, which mimics, as it were, the tribes of Israel. So who was going to succeed Judas? There were two candidates, and they're named in the Bible. I'm fascinated by the fact that one of them, I, I suspect, was the, four, you know, the, the front runner because they've told us a lot more about one of them than they did the other. It was almost good. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome the two candidates for the role of apostle? On my right, Joseph, son of Barsabbas, also called Justice, and Matthias. But it was God who made the decision. Those two candidates seemed pretty well matched. But God knew more about them, and he knew who he was going to choose and it was to Matthias that the lot fell God said it's Matthias I want and we don't know why maybe it was actually because Matthias wasn't so confident in himself maybe it was because Matthias was a bit uncertain about taking this role on a bit reluctant and so often that's the ones that God seems to choose because it's through people like that that God can work his wonders God knew the heart and he chose Matthias. And I think there's two questions that arise from this passage for us today. One is, 
How can we determine the will of God when we have a tough decision to make? Do we whip out the Urim and Thummim? I don't know, I, I, said, I said to some people the other day, I'm not sure if URC elders are secretly handed a set when they become elders. Have you got yours with you, any of you? No? No, because that's not how we do things. We've got a, an advantage over all the people of Israel and even the disciples at that time. That's our advantage. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathising with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. We have direct access to the high priest. We don't have to be the king, the important one. But more, the, more to it, the, the high priest is God. And through the gift of his spirit who dwells in us, God will reveal his will to us. Sometimes it's not what we wanted to hear, but that's how it's meant to be. And we, we have that opportunity. We sometimes struggle with it. But there we are. The disciples at that moment, of course, Jesus hadn't returned to heaven and they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. So they're relying on the old method of finding God's will. But later on, they are very clearly directed by the Spirit and in touch with Jesus in his heavenly place. The other message is this one. God knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our hearts, just like he knew Matthias and he knew Joseph. I love this passage, the two sparrows and the penny. You know, there's, uh, there's thousands of sparrows out there. And the King James Bible translates it best. It says, not one of them will fall to the ground without my father. I think our other, more up-to-date ones say, without my father knowing. But actually, no, God's there with the sparrow as it falls. And then he goes on to say, even the hairs on your head are numbered. I mean, it must get easier for God every day to number the hairs on my head because it's always slightly fewer than yesterday but God knows that much he loves us that much with that much intimate detail even the hairs on our head are numbered he knows things about us that we don't know and he knows things about us that we're glad others don't know but we know God does all the all the sort of dodgy stuff but this is the wonder of it all. Despite it all, he's chosen us. God has chosen you and he's chosen me to be his people. John 15 reads, verse 16 reads, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit Fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. We have a high priest who makes clear his will to us, and we are chosen despite us to serve God. Something we should recognise in one another, so that we might love one another better. But let's live as God's chosen people. We're not better than anyone else. But we're called to live and to serve him.
Let's trust him in making decisions and allow the spirit to transform us to God's glory that we may fulfill our purposes in creation and do what God has created us to do. Amen.